0: Hey friends, welcome back to Why in the World. In this episode, I sit down with Peter Capon, who is a fellow therapist here at Mindful Counseling GR, the practice that I own here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And whew, do we dive into the deep end of the pool in this one. Uh, We talk about existential psychotherapy uh, and Peter describes sort of the the scaffolding of what that means, um, and these four categories that come up often in existential thought around death, meaninglessness, freedom, and isolation, and how all of those things are kind of running in the background of of who we are as human beings all the time. Um, and I am really excited to get into this episode, and hope that you will track with us all the way till the end, and just hear the wisdom that Peter brings um, from this perspective and all that it has to offer each of us as human beings on this journey of life as we try to do the work of getting to know ourselves on the deepest levels possible um, so that we can show up in the world in a way that's more meaningful, free, and connected, and be able to offer those things to those around us as well. So, without further ado, here's my episode with Peter Capon. You're listening to Why in the World, a podcast fueled by curiosity with deep dive conversations into meaning, purpose, and why we show up in the world the way we do. I'm your host, psychotherapist Brian Nixon. Peter, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, you know, before we dive too deep, it feels like a, a good, sort of really significant, important question to start with for you is what did you have for breakfast?
1: Hmm. I had a piece of toast, which was made uh homemade sourdough. Ooh. So, um, there's this big sourdough craze, I guess going around, and my wife is participating in that so very nice, and you're reaping um, benefits of that yeah, yeah, it's delicious and
0: nutritious so <laughs> good, good good yeah um, yeah well i'm I'm excited to have you on um, obviously, we know each other pretty well from working together at mindful counseling mm-hmm. um, and I just you know for those who don't know you would love for you to just give yourself a bit of a brief intro. Like, who are you? What do you, what do you do in the world? What kind of gets you excited about life? Um,
1: yeah, so I'm a therapist at mindful counseling GR and I've been there for about a year and a half now. And, um, I do a version of what I would call existential psychotherapy. Um, and I love it. It's great. It makes me um, get excited and and I love working with clients and, and thinking through people's lives. And um, in addition to being a therapist, I'm a dad. I have two boys and a husband. And um, I love that also. Hmm. Um, I also love soccer. Um, but Very unfortunately... Cool don't make as much time for that as I'd like sometimes. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And hard to hard to do when we're all in social isolation. Yeah. Indeed. Hmm. Um yeah. Well great. Um so we also have the the connection of having both gone to the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology to get a mm-hmm. get our master's degrees. Like we were there mm-hmm. at, at different times. Um but have that uh-huh. that sort of common shared experience as well.
1: Yeah, and I think we actually met at a restaurant um where I was with my wife and she had a sweatshirt with the Seattle school written on it. That's right. And you, and you said um
0: I went there and we were like, "Oh, <laughs> what um, are the chances in Great yeah, Michigan of yeah, running into yeah. somebody else?" I had the same sweatshirt, I think, as well. I don't know if I had it on that okay. day. I don't think so. But yeah, we were yeah. at at Bombay Cuisine getting some Indian food. Yeah, and yeah, I just, exactly. I just remember feeling like, no way, like what? <laughs> right, right. So yeah. that was that was a fun run in for sure. Um, so you you've been chasing down um, becoming a therapist for. A while and with a lot of dedication because, you know, a lot of people may not know this about you, but you actually have two master's in counseling degrees uh, because there was a problem with um, the accreditation from the Seattle School and the state of Michigan not issuing license to schools with that type of accreditation And at the time that you came mm-hmm. back to Michigan. And so mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear, you know, well, maybe just a little bit about what that was like and then... Um, obviously, there had to be some sort of fire in you to do this work in the world to, to you know, inspire you to get a second master's degree so that you could practice here.
1: Yeah, so, so towards the end of the program in Seattle, um, somebody let me know that, that Michigan stopped acknowledging the accreditation of that program. Um, and so I was put in a situation where I could um, stay in Seattle, and that would have been really difficult for me and my wife because we had also become parents for the first time while we were in Seattle. And so the cost of living in Seattle is is really high, and just the lifestyle that we would have had just would have been really out of our familiarity, I guess. Um, so coming back to Michigan, I had the uh, – the choice of either getting another master's degree or a different or a doctorate degree or something like that, um, in order to become a therapist or finding a new career. Hmm. Um, and you know, I don't really remember considering very seriously the option of, of not continuing down that path of being a therapist. Um, you know, I I had worked really hard to get to that point because when I decided I wanted to be a therapist, I was actually a college dropout
0: living mm-hmm. in a different country. Um, wow. So how did so, that, how did that land in your, in your mind? Like you're in this other country, where were you?
1: So I was working in Rwanda. Okay. wow. Um, oh doing international development work. Uh And while I was there, um, I had seen a lot of situations that were disheartening for me in terms of how, um, how Americans especially try to help other people and, um, and, and seeing a lot of attempts at just throwing money at problems or Hmm. um, providing simple solutions that aren't super helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I could quick share a quick story about that if that's helpful. Yeah, Um, please. And, and so try to stay on task a little bit, but um, so an example of the type of situation that I observed that was difficult for me was, um, you know, in Rwanda, there have been um, a fair amount of people who have been maimed. And mm-hmm. um, as foreigners going to Rwanda, sometimes that can be easy to see through our lens of, of of, of um, we just don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, A visitor who was connected to the organization I was working with um, had noticed that and decided they wanted to provide wheelchairs for individuals who couldn't walk. And so I was involved in helping distribute those wheelchairs. And, you know, Rwanda is called um, the land of a thousand hills Mm. because it is covered with these beautiful patchwork farmed um, green hills. Mm. And so if you Google search, you know, Rwanda Hills, I mean, it is absolutely breathtaking. Mm. It's also the most densely populated country in Africa. So people are living on these hills and in close proximity to each other and, and having a lot of people having these small farms to live off of. and. so we delivered one of these wheelchairs and the person who was the recipient sat in it and, and that's about all he could do. He couldn't go more than 10 feet because he lived on one of these farms, which, which isn't, it's not paved um, and it, it's fairly muddy and it's surrounded by crops. Um, and you know he smiled and and was grateful and um you could kind of see in his eye like this is this is what am i going to do with this right um,
0: and in the, so in the land of a thousand hills a wheelchair is pretty impractical
1: pretty impractical and and you know there are a lot of stories of of um success when when we reach out and try to help but there are a lot of situations that you know, it it's, it was difficult for me to look at and, and and wonder what are we even doing? Like, what it, it seemed like it was, that situation was more out of somebody's need to feel helpful than it was to actually be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so, that really began the process for me of asking um, the question: What would it look like for people to to start with, rather than just sort of throwing solutions? Um, Start with who am I? What do I have to offer? How can by me nurturing my own desires and, and personality and um, true self um, benefit the world in a more specific and nuanced way? Um, and I wondered that in general as I was in Rwanda for people um, how can we as Americans be more helpful by, by starting with? Um, helping ourselves, and and not in a selfish way, but in a way that, you know, we're taking advantage of the opportunities we have, and and then sharing from there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, as I was asking that question about myself while I was in Rwanda, what would it look like for me to not just go into this field of international development, which was really appealing to me at the time? um, How can I become more true to myself how can i become more who i am um and then potentially share that Mm -hmm. specific peter quality with someone Mm -hmm. who who might need that quality um and at some point counseling came to mind and i couldn't shake it um it I, i i just i the word counseling popped in my head, and and at one day I just remember specifically I was in the meeting and I didn't hear a single word <laughs> that anybody else was saying because all I heard in my head was counseling, 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 huh. and um and so that was the beginning or at least the next big step toward um, being a counselor, which meant I had to go back to college, finish mm-hmm. my undergrad, and then go to grad school, and so. So, yeah, by the time I had to decide whether I was going to continue down that path, I think I had just invested too much of my energy and time um, and I had enough momentum that mm-hmm. it, I just i was sort of just kind of um, pulled forward, I, I guess, or um, didn't really feel enough resistance to stop.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, I love that image of you being in a meeting and and only hearing sort of this like internal word of counseling yeah. over and over again. It it just makes me think of like the, the idea of, of a calling, right? Like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a calling from outside of you. It feels more like a, a calling mm-hmm. from deep within you, like something reached from your depths into your mind and said, Hey, pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and definitely.
1: Felt like a calling at the time. Um, And and I didn't even know exactly what that meant to me. Sure. That it was a calling. Um, And I'm not sure that I do now either, Mm -hmm. but but definitely resonates with me. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, and the story you shared about the wheelchairs also feels um, really, really potent in thinking about the importance of of everything you just said about how do we more deeply connect with who we are and then offer help from there. And that part of what you said about like the person giving out the wheelchairs likely just had a deep need to feel needed or useful. And, and that was the need that was actually met by giving this impractical thing in the land of a thousand hills. Um, Mm. And that's part of what you're, what you're saying is like, in getting to know ourselves so deeply there's an importance to recognize even that like i'm doing this because i have a need and this (laughs) might not actually be what's needed and that that's that's a pretty significant amount of self-awareness to be able to even recognize that and and recognize like as a westerner you know somebody who can't walk really could use a wheelchair um, you know, that works mm-hmm. here, that works in the mm-hmm. US. Um, but to take that into a land that you're not from and have really no no awareness of or a limited awareness of, it just becomes mm-hmm. like a, a projection. I'm projecting mm-hmm. my culture onto the culture of, of Rwanda and I see that they they can't walk and so they must need a wheelchair when, you know, it sounds like the wheelchair really just became a, a stationary seat for him um, mm-hmm. 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 and it, like where my mind goes with how that f- feels connected to counseling is every time we sit down with another human being if we're not doing the personal work of like really connecting to ourself and really recognizing our own biases our own woundedness mm-hmm. our own mm-hmm. needs and desires that those things can quickly become a projection onto each of our clients as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i i love love what you're saying there right right that that
1: and the story of the wheelchair is sort of is it goes unchecked, mm-hmm. and there's not this curiosity about well, I have this idea, what do you think about it um what does this look like for you mm-hmm. and so it's an important step that got missed, maybe, yeah. and I don't know exactly what went down or how it happened um but um, at least interesting you think about the similarities.
0: Yeah, yeah. Something in the absence of any sort of curiosity and dialogue meant that the, the, the other was missed. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. somebody had a good idea and then just acted on it without any sort of relational connection to the one receiving.
1: Right, yeah. And so what would it have looked like if that person had the person who had the wheelchair idea also had an acknowledgement of their own need um, to be connected or their own need to even feel good about contributing mm-hmm. in the world? Because that that's a great need to to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, I. I. I have a hunch that the the cultural norm that that person was operating out of was that um, their needs are not what are what were important what's important is is serving and giving Mm -hmm. and um, taking care of other people and those are in my mind, really good qualities. Um, But this, um, in that context, often what I've observed is a tendency to um, dismiss one's own, the validity of one's own needs to begin with. It's not even um, a topic for conversation or an awareness of, um, the fact that somebody even has their own needs um, to consider mm-hmm. um, and so and that was true for me, and I think that's that 's what I was pushing pause on or slowing down, even when I thought of the word counseling is um, when I was in Rwanda and i the word counseling popped in my head, I think that was me tapping into some intuition that that um my needs mattered that Mm -hmm. um just showing up and and trying to fix things or trying to even even if it was had like a relational um bend to it that um it wasn't it wasn't really doing what i wanted it to do Mm -hmm. um so when you ask why in the world mm-hmm. I I I mentioned this I think a little bit maybe before, when you first um were starting your podcast and I popped in the office in your podcast room and just was asking you about it and you were telling me what was going on and you asked um something about or you just you just mentioned that you want to know why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. And I started I was thinking about why I do what I do. And I was aware that often my decisions, I'm, I I have the reason why I'm doing what I do that I would tell you mm-hmm. or I would say at the time. And then I look back and I see that there was maybe more of a why than I realized at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with Rwanda, um, I... I would have told you, well, first of all, that I just, I had this calling that I didn't quite understand. Um, That I also would have told you that I I wanted to help people. And um, in a really broad kind of way. And that, I think that was good. Um, And and I loved that time. but i think looking back i've i've since since then i've i've learned a lot and i've studied different ideas and um at some point stumbled upon existential psychotherapy as a field of study and yeah. um looking back so so existential psychotherapy um is 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 a term referring to a kind of therapy that that um Irvin Yalom put together and it's kind of a compilation of, of different existential theories and thoughts um, from a lot of different philosophers and psychologists over the years um but he whittles down um the experience of people to four what he calls the four ultimate concerns hmm. and It's a little bit of a grandiose, I think, term even, ultimate concerns. (laughs) Um, But I started reading about that and it really resonated with me. And so the four ultimate concerns that Yalom says that we're all trying to address in our day-to-day lives are um, the realities of death, meaninglessness, freedom. And isolation, hmm. and
0: those are huge categories. They're huge categories, um, and, and, and they, I seem, also, they seem really like, you know, those seem like if they're not ultimate ultimate concerns, they, they certainly seem to be among the ultimate concerns during this pandemic that we're in for sure. Right, right. Well, it's really interesting. Um
1: Yeah, and 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 there are a lot of similarities to um the pandemic and and stay at home orders. Um I think well, I don't even really want to go into that. Yeah. But, but
0: we don't need to dive um, too deep into that. Everybody's yeah.
1: hearing that everywhere,
0: but I'm curious to know about yeah. those um the four concerns and and I'm wondering if you can break each one down a little bit about what's meant by that and how they, how they are trying to get worked out in people's daily lives. Because I suspect that people may not even be fully aware that they're trying to sort those categories out.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I, I really, I've, I've tried to hold these categories loosely for myself. I haven't felt a sense of um, commitment, or loyalty, to to these categories, or existential psychotherapy in general. Um, and yet, as I continue to kind of test it, I guess um, I it's amazing to me how much it seems to resonate with people, even just like in an immediate um, reaction mm-hmm. of 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 even without exploring it deeper. Mm-hmm. How many people are just like, yeah, that sounds really true um probably not all encompassing or or, um the answer to everything but there's something about that that those categories that we tend to miss out on by not slowing down and and thinking through a little bit more Mm -hmm. Um, so death yalom says that death is is really the ultimate ultimate concern Mm -hmm. that Um, you know, when we even think about the other ultimate concerns that, that without them, um, we feel threatened and, and even just the idea of feeling threatened, if you follow that train of thought, whatever feels threatening to you, if you follow that train of thought a little bit deeper or a little bit further, um, eventually you're likely to realize that that the worst case scenario that you might be afraid of is, is death. Mm. Mm -hmm. um and so because of that it seems important to make sure that we slow down and and explore that um although i don't know that it's always necessary to look at it directly um but i do think it's important that we do and
0: when it certainly seems like a, a topic or a category that we don't spend a much conscious time talking about in our culture. Um, right. In fact, it feels like we're we're doing everything we can to convince ourselves that it's not ever going to happen.
1: Yeah, and and it seems culturally what we do is we say, well that's the one thing in our life that we can't do anything about. That's the one inevitability that um is so inevitable that it's pointless for us to dwell on. Because by by stopping and dwelling on that, all we're doing is just thinking about difficult things, self sad or making ourselves scared. And um, I think what's more culturally normal is to say, like, um, "Well, that's not happening right now, so let's not talk about it. Let's not think about it." Mm -hmm. Um, But I think. I would argue that because it's the one thing that's inevitable, it's maybe the most universal truth for all human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, That it's maybe the one thing that we need to slow down and think about how we deal with or how that impacts our life.
0: Um, Yeah, it's almost like if we don't and it just kind of gets pushed aside, then how we're dealing with it's going to come out sideways you know like my mind thinks about how many you know different ways that were marketed to like your life will be complete if you have this thing or um, you know all the different ways that we put in effort to try to I don't know avoid that reality Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 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 oh sorry you you wrote something really interesting in the pre-interview survey that Mm-hmm. Is, I think connects to this about um, it's it's a conversation about death and you wrote death more in the sense that there is a deathness that is present with with us all our lives. And so that word deathness, like sort of mm-hmm. the essence of, of death mm-hmm. is is within us, even when we're alive. And yeah. i was just curious, like, can you talk a little bit more about that idea of deathness being in each of us?
1: Yeah, I think so so when i talk about death i don't just mean um you know when i think about my death in in the context of of this conversation i'm not just thinking about the fact that someday i'm going to be 80 years old um it also shows up when i look in the mirror and i see a a new gray hair Mm. um or the fact that um You know, I'm not perfect or the fact that I'm not uh, sort of in control of every aspect of my life um, or the fact that um, I've been stress eating a lot lately during COVID-19 and I'm probably gaining a little bit of weight. Um, You're probably in good company. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of difficult for me to articulate. Um, but I think we carry with us the reality that we are going to die, um, in, in lots of ways every day. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I actually see my, my kids put words to it more often than I would an adult. Hmm. Um, Oftentimes, we tend to project our fears of death or our our incapacity to process our fear of death um, onto kids and and make it adult conversation or adult topics, Hmm. which actually, I think, tends to perpetuate a new generation of, of people who are unaware of their own fear of death Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. rather than being able to talk openly and honestly and develop a capacity to at least acknowledge that we're afraid of death. Mm. Um, so, but how we deal, how we tend to deal with that looks, uh, there are a lot of different ways that we tend to deal with death and the two main ways are we either find a way to feel special about ourselves. Um, Maybe it's, it's, it shows up in the way that we're trying to fix a car engine and, and, or, or fix something that's broken or, or do a job perfectly. Um, There's a drive that maybe somebody might have to, in a sense, try and conquer death, try and conquer their own deathness. It, it, it does seem like a better word um, mm-hmm. by being perfect or special or um, more permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, and another common way is to reach out for an ultimate rescuer. So that could be, um, in a religious kind of way, but often is, um, it looks like being maybe codependent hmm. or, um, wishing somebody would, would save me from whatever situation I'm in, even if it's economic or, hmm. um,
0: So like kind of the sense of if, if this thing would happen or this person would do this, then my life would feel more safe or stable. Um, yeah,
1: and it shows up in so many different ways. And, and so how that gets played out relationally is different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, largely, you know, if I'm sitting with a client, I'm much more focused on, here and now, what's happening between me and my client. And that's where you and I have a lot in common in -hmm. terms of like, I I love getting supervision from you because you're operating out of a relational psychotherapy modality, Mm -hmm. which has so much crossover with how I try to work with my clients. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some also some big differences between sort of like the structure or the scaffolding um, underneath the the theory, Um, but but how it gets played out is largely relational. So if I'm sitting with a client, for example, and they're, um, let's say, I I notice for some reason uh, a client maybe is quiet or a little bit withdrawn, and I find myself really reaching out toward them And I find this strong drive of, of maybe doing a little bit of extra work to draw them out or figure out what they're thinking. And they're not offering it very, um, very readily. Mm -hmm. And, And so I start to wonder, is this person looking for someone to save them? Are they looking for, are they needing somebody to save them? Um, and to a point where that need impacts how they show up with people every day hmm. and, and they end up not being seen or understood um, and meeting some of their core needs because they're still waiting for somebody to come save them or somebody to, to be their ultimate rescuer. Mm-hmm. um and so i might not ever talk about death directly in Muriel. um and i also view there there need to be somewhat legitimate because the way of of the way that we deal with that dread um is legitimate to begin with i mean we need to find solace we need to find ways of dealing with you know it, i i'm not i wouldn't advocate for just finding the ability to just sit with your own dread all the time sure um so it, having the the context of therapy is a chance of of maybe potentially sitting with that a little bit longer and growing the capacity um but also recognizing having need to find ways to cope with reality. And that can either be helpful for us and the people around us um, or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so part, part of what I think I hear you saying is that that these ultimate concerns, um, particularly like the, the death concern, mm-hmm. are, are kind of like operating systems that are running in the background of our life all the time Mm. and you know we're not necessarily specifically thinking about you know um death or isolation or meaning or freedom but they're they're part of what makes up the system as a whole and so Mm -hmm. people will come in to see you and have any number of sort of presenting situations that that are driving them to come and see you Um, But what you're saying, I think, is like that you're you're listening to the story they're telling you, but you're also kind of holding on to that scaffolding that you're saying, like some of this somewhere is running in the background for them. And and so you're kind of trying to follow the threads from what they're presenting down into these deeper concerns that are um, needing some attention or needing to be looked at in some way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. Um, and, and I really think it's okay that we need to find ways of, of coping with these difficult realities. Um, and, and I think giving permission to do that is really important. Um, and again, I think there's a tendency culturally to say, Um, really zoning in on your needs to, to, to help yourself or, or cope with those realities um, would just result in everybody sort of being out for themselves or um, taking advantage of other people because you're focused, so focused on your needs. Mm -hmm. But what I think is true is that people can't, it's not good for us to live in isolation Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not good for us to live a life that has no personal meaning. And, um, and I think if people are really tapping into what they need, they will find themselves connecting more to the world around them. Mm -hmm. And, um, that rather than becoming more and more isolated, that they become more and more connected, and that we'd see more positive
0: and pro-social um, outcomes. Hmm. Yeah. I I don't know if if this quite fits with what you're saying. So h- let me know if not. But like um, I was trying to think through my own life a little bit when you were um, talking about that and. Um, the isolation one stood out for me as, um, you know, just kind of this idea that the need to be deeply connected to ourself and in the way that you're saying, um, that for me, the isolation one stands out at least in this moment around like just this awareness that I tend to go through life as a bit of a peacemaker. Hmm. Um, and I think there like at the core of that would be sort of that fear of isolation, right? Like mm-hmm. um, I, need to, I need to be a peacemaker and I need to tend to other people's needs so that I'm not alone. Mm. Um, but that part of the shadow side of that, for me at least, is that um, this constant giving and trying to make peace in the world around me um, really oftentimes isn't peaceful within me. There's like mm. something that I'm disconnected from around my own need, right? Like if I actually mm-hmm. connect to this thing that I need and I bring this into this relationship or into this context, then it could create conflict. And if there's conflict, then I'm going to be isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, that fear of isolation can it, at times exacerbate. For me, yeah, because com- it's, mm-hmm. it's compelling me to right. betray something within myself in order to maintain sort of this Um, Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. at least uh, fantasy of connection um, which ultimately you know the irony is like it actually is isolating to to live that disconnected from oneself and be only tending to the needs of others Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. and in some way those people aren't really getting what they need either because what they really need is is connection to another right. human being, right? Um, which doesn't
0: always look like agreement, right? Yeah, conflict um, is, is a very alive thing, and and I think necessary, um, right? Not in right. Con- not conflict in the terms of it needing to be, uh, you know, some form of like violence or aggression. Um, but conflict in like we're two very separate subjective humans having two very different experiences and so even the fantasy that the, that there's not going to be conflict is is not real
1: totally totally it just exacerbates yeah um yeah like isolation mm-hmm. um rather than offering um anything that's really actually helpful <laughs> mm-hmm. and not that, and sticking to your example, because I have my own personal experience of that. Sure. It can also offer a kind of helpfulness. But, mm-hmm. um, and so none of it is all bad or all good. I think one thing that's, I think, important to, I think what I get out of existential psychotherapy and also my clients get is that we're just trying to find ways of coping with these realities. and. Mm-hmm. I think that could sound really pessimistic to a lot of people and I get that. I, I really get why that would feel that way. Um, that w- what if the universe is actually inherently meaningless mm-hmm. really a really pessimistic question to sit with mm-hmm. um, and that causes dread. And I think that's understandable. Um, but by saying, you are free to cope how in whatever ways f- work for you, I think um, really offers opportunity to try things and realize that we're just trying to figure this thing out called life one day at a time and that's okay. Yep. And that um, what worked yesterday might not work today. And mm. so, let's look at it and and maybe we try something new. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so there's, there's more freedom than like maybe something like creating a rigid structure around yourself um, isn't necessarily going to be the answer, but have opening it up in that way to saying what's working today might not work tomorrow and it's okay to change if you need to. I
1: think, and I think it brings about a kindness toward oneself to say, Okay, it's not about whether that decision was right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, there's goodness in it. Let's start with that assumption, and um, let's build on let's build on that, or let's go from there. What was good about it? How can you have more of that? Mm-hmm. Um, and and what wasn't helpful? And and how can you have more of what you actually needed? Um, in that way. Mm-hmm. So going back to my Rwanda experience, you know, it's really easy for me at the time when I was doing that work to get cynical and to think about that type of work as being all good or all bad. Hmm. And um, is it, it would have been really easy and, and at moments to slip into the uh, criticism or dismissiveness of it. Um, and... I think, um, you know, people still got helped and people were still, um, had some of their needs met and -hmm. those were good things. Um, but ultimately through this process of, of a lot, quite a bit of therapy, Personally, which has been part of my own educational experience as well. Mm-hmm. So not just studying books and like learning about these things, but being in my own therapy and getting my it, own medicine. sense of Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Um realizing looking back, you know, I I went to Rwanda because there was a part of myself that I never felt was really understood in my own experiences around death, my own experiences. Um, with suffering Hmm. and I I think I went to Rwanda partially because uh, I was expecting based on the history of Rwanda that the people of Rwanda would know something that I also knew um, about suffering and about pain and about death Um, that I wouldn't have to talk about it but I would have a resonance or a kind of a kinship mm. and I would, I was, I was finding solace, um, for my own experience of isolation in ways that I didn't know going into it. Mm. Um, and, and that's okay too. I mean, I, I, I found some of that and I, I resonate in my experience resonated with other people as well. Um, but ultimately, going and in, in starting a career in international development was not going to be my solution to that problem. Mm-hmm. And had I continued down that path, all I would have been doing was objectifying other people and, and to meet that need unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that would have been... You know, I, I I trust myself enough to know that it would have been there would have been some goodness in that, um, but I don't think it was as helpful as as therapy has been.
0: Yeah. Well, and I keep thinking of the word integration as you're talking that you know it's an integration of all the different parts and pieces that feels like it's so healing. Um, it's not. Um, it's sort of this idea of like, instead of just, you know, going blindly and doing, um, you know, that work, that there's the, uh, the additional kind of parallel work of continuing to deepen your awareness of yourself and to connect with some of these deeper themes in a more conscious way, because it sort of enriches the life that you're living in terms of um, the, mm-hmm. the the more mm-hmm. aware we are of, of our own depths, the more we can integrate that into how we live, which then helps us see like where, where we're just living out of a, maybe a survival strategy. Um, you know, kind of like what I was saying about myself, like uh, it's a survival strategy to be so others referencing and trying to meet everybody else's need mm-hmm. to avoid that sense of isolation. But the real, that. the real like healing or transformation or integration um, is around owning the fear of the isolation consciously, mm. mm-hmm. right? And and so mm-hmm. like that word integration keeps coming up for me around what you're talking. Like how do we how do we make space for all the different parts of who we are to have a seat at right. the table? Right. And
1: ultimately, for me, to care for myself is to is to be proactive in being seen and heard. Understood, and in a really basic, simple kind of way, is as obvious as that probably sounds. You know, I travel all around the world trying to meet my need of 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 being seen and understood, and you know, the opportunity to just speak out loud and represent myself wasn't even one that I even would have considered. And, and that's what I've learned to do more and more of the best that I can. And, um, that seems to be more effective in, in impacting the world around me Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: so, Mm um, well, I'm, I'm curious if you have, um, you know, these are, these are Obviously, really deep themes, really significant mm-hmm. sort of anchoring themes, I would say, for all of us as humans. And um, and so I, the question I'm about to ask almost seems a little bit uh, trite or too simplistic, but I'm wondering, yeah. like, are there... Practices um, mm-hmm. that that you do, or that you would recommend mm-hmm. for others who are maybe feeling some sort of resonance around the the big picture themes of this, but are maybe wondering, like, well, what do I do with that? Like, how do I how do I begin yeah. to engage these deeper waters for myself? Um,
1: other than, um, yeah, you know, like therapy. Mm. <laughs> um. <laughs> is a is a great step right and i would agree it doesn't and not necessarily it doesn't have to be someone who who is an existential therapist i think um the process of therapy is is pretty inherently um just almost you know any modality if if someone is is offering empathy and understanding and curiosity and and a capacity to hold your experience with you um, I think that that's a really effective uh place to begin to mm-hmm. begin trusting yourself and through beginning to trust yourself and 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 acknowledge your own tendencies your own needs um, I think. I think personally, I think that's pretty effective. Mm -hmm. Um, In in addition to just trusting yourself, just trying things like anything, Um, you know, so just recently with this COVID-19 thing, I I hit this lull. So I I lasted, I did all the things that everyone is supposed to do. (laughs) Exercise, keep a routine, stay in communication with people listen to good music, eat healthy somewhat. (laughs) (laughs) Checking all the boxes. Um, And it was working pretty well. And then boom, I just hit this wall. Mm -hmm. And I just did not want to get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And in existential terms, I was really losing my will. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was trying to think through and it kind of had this um, mechanical nature to the way I dealt with it in a way that um, I, I guess I don't know what I think about that but um, I, I I was intentional I stopped to think about okay what how can I what and so for me you know some of this is like I'm just looking through this these books and trying to see mm. what these people have to say about the will to mm-hmm. live or um, and and realizing that there's something about Having will and having freedom, uh, and in the sense of a different kind of like existential freedom, um, that I am responsible for my life and my situation. And um, it, it's a little bit of um, difficult for me to explain, honestly, but um, that there's a connection between one's ability to choose their own life. And having a will hmm. and so I made this conscious effort to process okay, the governor told me I have to stay home mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like I have my own sense of choice right now um,
0: like that's something outside of you happening to you
1: exactly and and i don't I'm not saying that this is a simple solution, and that this is always necessarily easily doable but simply by me remembering that I have a choice in this situation um, even in the broad sense I do have the choice to go outside I do have the choice to leave my house even during the stay at home order Mm -hmm. but that ultimately if I don't it's because I don't want to Right. and And so remembering that I'm staying home because I don't want to get people sick, because I don't want to get in trouble, because um, I don't want to get sick and I don't Mm -hmm. want my family to get sick. Mm -hmm. And somehow I was able to just own my own choice.
0: Yeah. Um, and connect to the goodness of the choice within your own reasons for following the order. Exactly.
1: That those are legitimate reasons. Even mm-hmm. if it's just because I don't want to get a fine, that's still my choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and
0: owning you're, you're, that reason. You're following, you're following the order out of a connection to your own choices and reasoning for those choices rather than following it because you're being forced to follow it exactly
1: it in it in it, it it it's not a super simple just like reframe mm-hmm. um like there's some like gymnastics internally happening <laughs> to <laughs> make <laughs> that happen but um i I had so much more energy after that and and it's <laughs> really stuck with me um, oh, that's great just by waking up and saying like i'm going to i'm going to stay at home today <laughs> mm-hmm. um that's my choice. Um, and, and for me also really reaching for a meaning in there, I think. And and so for me realizing that really the primary reason I'm staying home is to save lives Mm -hmm. and that is meaningful and I can get behind that. Um, I can't get behind just being told what to do by my governor. Um, that, I, I will always run out of steam if I'm doing something because the governor told me to. Right. And it's really hard to do. Mm. Um, all the coping strategies that are necessary um, are not going to suffice. But by me remembering that I have a, a meaningful reason for the choice that I'm making, um, it provides so much more energy for me. Mm. Um, so i that's not necessarily like a that's a really specific situation Mm -hmm. and some specific um ideas that i'm drawing from
0: yeah Um, but I, i think the for me it feels like um it's sort of broadly applicable in that there's an invitation in there to everybody to slow down and spend that kind of intentional time with themselves to look at yeah. Um, you know, what are you actually yeah. feeling during this? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, are you trying to look for that ultimate rescuer, you know, and that could be like somebody save me from this, or it could be blame of the governor or of, of any sort of power structure to say like they if they would just do it different then I would be more free. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I, I think I hear a more broad invitation in what you're saying in that way. Like, Like this is a time to really do some deep self-exploration and find ways of getting really honest with ourselves about Mm -hmm. what's, what's in there and all of its complexity.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just slowing down and thinking about what do I really need? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think starting with that can go a long way.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that's a, that question to ourselves, what do I really need is a, a question that, a lot of people go from birth to their grave and really never even ask that question, mm. um, which is. Yeah. Yeah. And that, a I feel that
1: when you say that, or even just now like that, mm-hmm. that feels really sad
0: mm-hmm. to me. Agreed. So it's a broad invitation to ask yourself, what do you really need right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I think that's mm. starting Long way. That's what I think. Yeah. And it, it, trusting yourself, um, I think, I think can carry somebody a long way toward, toward uh, a more fruitful life. Hmm. That's what I think.
0: Yeah. I love it. Well, I'm aware that we're getting close to our time here. So just wanted to say thank you for, Taking, yeah. taking the leap and coming on the show and uh you know just also to say that i'm i'm grateful to know you and grateful to have you at mindful counseling gr and know that there's a depth and a soul to the good work that you're doing for yourself that is also trickling down into the work that you're doing with your clients so thank you
1: yeah thank you too it's my pleasure
0: it's fun Awesome. Well, I look forward to when we can uh, meet in person again and not uh, be looking at each other through a screen.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Likewise. All right. Well, thanks, Peter. Appreciate you coming on. Okay. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. As promised, that was a dive into the deep end of the pool with my colleague, fellow therapist Peter Kapan I uh, wanted to say thank you to Peter for coming on and sharing his heart and his mind with us and I hope that each of you found something in this episode that helps you explore your own depths a little bit deeper and with more curiosity uh, there's so much complexity to who we are as humans and uh, I really believe that the world is a better place when we begin to each individually explore those depths within ourselves so thanks again for tuning in